we've uh, recently introduced our new series called Jesus, Friend of Sinners, and uh, we said that there's some major themes that we want to note as we journey through the book of Luke together. So in your Bibles, just underline or highlight or just write these themes down in the margins of your Bible as we go through the book of Luke. The first theme that we talked about last week was this idea of the upside-down kingdom. That the kingdom of God is nothing like the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus comes in and he inaugurates the kingdom as a servant instead of somebody who was born into riches. And the challenge when we read this kingdom of God language is this. Who or what sits on the throne of your heart? I mean, is it your career? Is it your family? Is it you? Or is Jesus sitting on the throne of your heart? The second theme that we want to take note of is how Jesus treats people. Uh, People is a major theme in the book of Luke. And Jesus, he reaches out to all sorts of people. In fact, Luke shows us that Jesus has special concern for the outcast of society. For people who are known as second-class citizens. He has special care for the leper and the sick and the poor and the destitute and the hurt and the lonely and the sinner. Jesus has this special concern for people who are part of a different culture, for people who look differently, who speak another language, for, for people who believed in something different. And when we start reading these sections in Luke, we have to ask ourselves, how do I treat people? How do I treat people who are different than I am, who look different than I am, who are known as the outcasts of society, who, who are treated as though they are second-class citizens? I mean, how, how do I treat people who speak a different language? How do I treat others who believe in something different from me? And our challenge when we read about the people that Jesus dealt with is simply, do I love people the way that Jesus loves people? And the third theme that we want to take note of is geography, which we just talked about during our time of communion. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Over and over, Luke is going to say that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He set his face towards Jerusalem because he was on his way to the cross and he's really on his way to you. And the last theme that we want to take note of through the book of Luke is the prominence of the Holy Spirit throughout this gospel. And so being Pentecost Sunday today, there's no better day to talk about the importance of the Holy Spirit. And I'm hoping that We're going to be able to address some concerns, maybe dispel some misconceptions about the Holy Spirit that some of you might have. The first thing that you need to know about our author, who's named Luke, is that Luke also writes the book of Acts. And Luke and Acts are this two-work volume. Volume one is Luke, and volume two is Acts. And If you've ever read the book of Acts, you'll know that it is lined with the acts of the Holy Spirit. But Luke doesn't wait until he writes volume two to introduce the incredible work of the Holy Spirit. But he begins to showcase the Holy Spirit in volume one. 
in the book of Luke. In fact, in the opening chapters, you'll start reading about the Holy Spirit. This is what it says. It says, Zacharias is visited by an angel and is told that his son, who's going to be John the Baptist, will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Mary is visited by an angel and is told that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will give birth to the Messiah. And then later on, Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. And then just before beginning his public ministry in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, it says, was full of the Holy Spirit and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and he was tempted by the devil. And then Jesus, he walks into the synagogue at Nazareth, and he reads from the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and this is what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me, sent me to release the captives and sight to the blind, to set those free who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so if you continue to read the book, of Luke, Jesus would go places once he was full of the Holy Spirit. He would preach after being full of the Holy Spirit. He would perform miracles being full of the Holy Spirit. He would cast out demons while being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this huge part of the book of Luke. And I want to ask you something this morning. Does the Holy Spirit play an important role in your life? And I know that when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of people here who have a lot of questions because we've had them ourselves. I'm going to go into a little bit of of teaching more than preaching this morning, and I hope we are able to answer some questions that you have that you might have been too shy to ask. Here's some questions that we're often faced with. I'm saved, and I don't speak in tongues. So does that mean that I don't have the Holy Spirit? I want to tell you that you absolutely have the Holy Spirit, whether you speak in tongues or not. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise, and don't let anyone imply otherwise. See, there's something that's called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this happens when a person asks Jesus into their heart and into their life. The Spirit resides inside of you. This is what Paul says to the Ephesians. He says, having believed, you are now sealed with the Holy Spirit. Which means that your Baptist friend or your Episcopal family, or your Nazarene family, who are saved, have the Holy Spirit in their lives. All believers have the Holy Spirit in their lives, dwelling in them. And this is, this is why when you ask Jesus into your heart and into your life, that your body then becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, there's a difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the infilling of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit, and being baptized in the Spirit. Paul says to the Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. 
The infilling of the Holy Spirit needs to be an important part of your life. See, you and I, we're like these leaky vessels. We're these leaky containers, and we need this constant filling of the Holy Spirit. This is just an ongoing experience where we need to be filled over and over again, which means that we need to desire and we need to pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that whatever I do is not by might, it's not by power, but it is by your Spirit alone. The infilling of the Spirit is this ongoing need that you and I need to have. And this morning, I want to I take a little while to, to talk a little bit about the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians, Paul lays this out. He says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. And then Paul says, Desire spiritual gifts. And he also says, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. And so I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you desire the gifts of the Spirit? Some of you, if you're honest with yourself, if you're really honest, you're going to say, absolutely not. I find it weird. I don't want to sound like crazy sister so-and-so. And I don't want to look like crazy brother so-and-so. And in the meantime, you are limiting the potential of what God wants to do in your life. You know, right now we've designed our service in such a way that our kids get to experience worship with us as a family. And I'm glad that they're here Because they get to witness the work of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit in church. But I want you to know that it's also up to you as a parent to talk to your kids about what's going on. And start asking them questions. Like, how come you don't sing when Tim and the worship team are singing? Or the next time you know a song and you know it by heart, maybe you should try closing your eyes. Or if you believe in what you're singing, then try raising up your hands. Every now and then on our ride home, we'll ask our kids this question, hey, what did you think when that person came to the microphone during our time of worship? And sometimes the answer is, I didn't really understand what was going on. Or I didn't understand what they were talking about. And sometimes the answer is, man, that was really cool. And Smith and I have an opportunity to break down for them why we believe God is speaking to us as a church. Parents, you need to start having these conversations with your kids. I mean, let them question what happened in our service. Help them to understand the gifts. And if there is something that weirded you out... Let your kids know that you were weirded out by it. But then let them know that you're going to talk to Pastor Rennie 
to find out what was really going on. You know, it's my desire that our kids would understand that the gifts are meant for today. It's my desire that our kids would understand that the gifts still operate today. That this is a normal part of life in a Holy Spirit-filled church. But it's up to us as parents to talk to our kids. And if you could do that, if you could start having these conversations, you become a disciple maker. One thing that, that my kids noticed was that the gift only comes from the same women at GT. <laughs> hey, that's a good observation. And, and I've told my kids that there are others who are here who have spiritual gifts. So please don't make me to be a liar. Use the gifts that God has given to you. The church needs your gift. God wants to use you with the gifts. And for those of you who are weirded out by what negative things you've experienced in the past, I'll tell you that myself and there are many others in the room operate in the gifts in a very private and personal way. The gifts don't have to look like the negative things that you've known and experienced in the past. But when the gifts are used the way it's intended to, Jesus will be glorified. And the church will be edified. Or the church might be warned about something. The church will be encouraged. The user will be blessed. And it's a beautiful thing. Men of glad tidings, God wants to speak to you. God wants to give you some of these gifts and use you in those gifts, but you've got to desire them. And glad tidings, I want you to know that, that the leadership and I are okay with people making mistakes. I'm okay with this looking a little messy. That's why we have seasoned leaders here to walk alongside you, not just in your calling, but the gifts that God has given to you. Paul tells the church, he says, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. What are your thoughts on the prophetic word? Don't answer because I have an interesting vantage point being here every time there's a prophetic word that's been given. And so I see two groups of people when, when there's a prophetic word that's here. There's, there's a group of people who are just so uneasy when there's a prophetic word. There's, there's a group of people who tune out. There's a group of people who roll their eyes. There's a group of people who are confused. And then there's another group. There's a group who is so encouraged. And there's a group who is challenged. And there's a group of people who's waiting and willing to respond to that word. And I also see this group who is blessed by the word. And I want to tell you something this morning. Wherever you stand, 
on your view of the prophetic word. Listen to what Paul tells the church. He says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies. Here's a definition or the definition for despise. To detest, to hate, to loathe, to abhor, to abominate, to shrink from, to be repelled by, to not be able to bear or stand or stomach, to find intolerable, to deplore, to dislike, to scorn, to disdain, to slight, to look down on, to pour heap or scorn on, to deride, to scoff at, to jeer at, to sneer at, to mock. Do not despise prophecies. And that, that is some convicting stuff right there. When it comes to the prophetic gifts, and that's convicting. There's some things that I, that I want to talk to you about when, when you hear a prophetic word. Scripture tells us that we are to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And I want you to know that when a prophetic word comes, it's up to you to test that gift. And this is something that the leadership and I do, not just during our service, but even afterwards. This is what we test for. You've heard me say this a number of times here. There's a test that has to happen in terms of scriptural accuracy. The word that's given has got to align itself with scripture. And if it does, then we say it's true. But there's another test that needs to happen, and, and we just call this right now the test of longevity. Right? Did the word come to pass? Or what was the fulfillment of the word? And this test is a test that takes some time. But I want you to know that delivery is not part of the litmus test for truth. It doesn't mean that the person who's speaking on behalf of God or bringing a prophetic word, that person needs to be sensitive about their presentation of the word. That's very important. But because you were uncomfortable, or because you didn't like the word, or because you didn't like the analogy, it doesn't mean that it's not from God. And if the word passes these tests, then you are accountable to responding to God based on whatever that prophetic word was. Do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies. About a year and a half ago, there was a, a prophetic word that was given during our time of worship. And the gist of the word was this. It said that I'm going to remove the seasoned people from this place. And I'm going to replace them with babes. Right? I'm, I'm taking out the mature followers of Jesus from this place because I have use for them elsewhere. And it's going to be okay. And I'm going to replace them with new believers. And I'm thinking, oh, great. Like, well, we're already understaffed here. Like, God, what on earth are you up to? 
And I know there were some questions from some people when they heard that word that went out, but a few weeks go by, and one of our deacons, who's also a ministry team leader, he calls me and he says, hey, do you remember that word? And I'm like, oh man, what are you telling me? And he says, I just got a call with an offer that I can't refuse, but it's going to take us out of state. A week after that, I get another call from another deacon who's also a ministry team leader saying that they're moving out of state. Then my right-hand man and our church secretary tells us that he's moving to Canada. And this isn't a lovey-dovey word for us. This wasn't a comfortable word for us. But what came to pass was exactly what was brought here in a prophetic word. And I share that with you this morning because I am telling you that God is speaking to us here at Glad Tidings. Are you willing to hear this? Are you willing to hear what he has to say or are you ready to despise the prophetic word? Leadership and I are in this space where we want to develop some time to celebrate when the word has come to pass. I mean, that's important for us because it means God is speaking to us. I'm going to ask Tim to come forward as we prepare to close this morning. The last thing that I want to talk to you about today is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me real quick to Acts chapter 1, verse 4 onwards. After the death of Jesus, he returns to his followers and he says to them, Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait, wait for the gift my father promised. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait, wait, wait for what the father has promised you. And then, and then all of a sudden Jesus he, he leaves the disciples and they stay together in the upper room and they're waiting and they're praying. And then we're going to read on into chapter 2 with what happens next. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. It's a powerful passage. Here's Jesus. And he says, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And while they're waiting and while they are praying and while they are seeking, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they begin to speak in other tongues. That's how they knew that they were baptized in the Spirit. It's because they were speaking this, this other tongue. 
What's the purpose behind being baptized in the Spirit? Jesus says this in Acts 1. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Man, the reason to seek the baptism of the Spirit is because God has a unique plan for you. He has this unique plan for you to reach out to those who have never heard the gospel before. He's got this plan for you to reach out to those who don't know Jesus. And if you want to do that effectively, you need power. Or another way to think about this is you need boldness. You need courage. You need strength to get out of your comfort zones to talk about Jesus. Just think about the disciples for a second and what happened to them. Jesus says, guys, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so they stay in Jerusalem. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. They get baptized in the Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues. And then a few verses later, Peter, who before, like in the book of Luke, Peter is seen as a coward. When Jesus is being tortured and mocked and shamed and beaten and crucified, Peter is the coward. And this same Peter begins to preach, probably to the same mob that recently put Jesus to death. How does this happen? I mean, how does this coward named Peter all of a sudden have this boldness for Jesus? It's the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And now he begins to preach Jesus Christ crucified. And he begins to preach Jesus Christ alive and well. And he begins to preach repentance to the group of people outside. And scripture says that that day, 3,000 people were added to their number. 3,000 people were convicted of their sins. 3,000 people repented of their sins. 3,000 lives were transformed. 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus because a group of people were waiting on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, would the disciples have accomplished anything without the power of the Holy Spirit? There's no way. Will you be able to accomplish anything without the Holy Spirit? There's no way. The Holy Spirit's importance in the book of Luke is pretty clear. Jesus would go places after being filled with the Spirit. He was tempted after being full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught and healed, performed many miracles. He faced many hardships after being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if Jesus Christ was dependent on the Holy Spirit, then you and I also need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit for wherever we go, for whatever we do and whatever we say. Are you dependent on the Holy Spirit? This morning, if you feel like you've been going through the motions in your worship, you need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you feel empty inside you, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. 
If you feel lost and confused, you need the Holy Spirit to be your teacher and help bring some understanding. If you feel like your life lacks some direction, you need the Holy Spirit to be your guide. If you're facing some temptations in your life, you need the Holy Spirit to give you the courage and the strength to resist the enemy of your soul. Now, what would happen if you decided to let go of all your apprehensions about what you think you know about the Holy Spirit? What would happen? What would happen if you were to simply wait on the Holy Spirit? What would happen if your family decided to wait on the Holy Spirit? Now, what would happen here if together we as a church decided to wait on the Holy Spirit? I tell you, some amazing, wonderful, beautiful things would happen in our midst if we position ourselves not to resist the Holy Spirit. So this morning, we declare our dependence on the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, I can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. I need him in every part of my life. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit when you go to work, when you're at school, when you're in your neighborhoods, in your homes. Man, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen me as a pastor. I need him to help me be a better husband and father. It's... His strength, his power, his encouragement that keeps me going. Man, I need the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me this morning? This morning, as we're going to continue with some more worship, and I encourage you to wait on the Holy Spirit. Ask him to fill you. Be open to asking him to use you with the gifts of the Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes into our midst, the impossible becomes possible. And wounds would be mended and roads would be made straight. Where life could not happen and couldn't take place, when the Holy Spirit comes in, Life would come in with it because the Spirit of God can do a mighty, mighty work. With your eyes closed right now, we're going to do something different to close this service. As soon as Tim begins with some more worship, I'm going to ask you to come forward if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you want it. I'm going to ask you to come forward if you feel like you just need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, if you genuinely desire the gifts of the Spirit, I'm going to ask that you would also come forward to this altar. If you need a healing in your life, I'm going to ask that you would come forward as well. Or if you want to ask Jesus into your heart for the first time, this altar will be open for you. And as you pray, I'm going to ask to have the prayer team move through this altar, laying hands on people. So this morning, let's ask God to help us. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us not to quench your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us, God, to be open to your Holy Spirit. This morning, help us to throw all of our dependence on 
on your Holy Spirit. And as a result of your presence, let there be healings and let there be signs and let there be wonders. Let blind eyes see. Let deaf ears be open. Let the lame walk again. Let deliverances go on all around this place. Let people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let there be transformed lives and transformed families, not because of the preacher or the teacher or the worship team, but because the Holy Spirit is in this place.